uh, December it was? I don't know when it was, anyway. <laughs> when I left here, I did not believe that I would be able to get back, even though I, at that time, really wanted to. But anyway, God has made it possible, and I'm glad you've come out, glad you made a little special effort tonight. I know this is Tuesday, tomorrow is Wednesday, and so you made a little effort to come out, and I appreciate it very much that you come to spend a little time with us tonight. I appreciate your efforts as far as getting the message out to the congressman, to your newspapers, the message out about the political situation in the Philippines. Tonight, before coming to the meeting, the, one of the editors or something of the Sentinel called, or the, I guess it was a religious editor, was it, uh, Mrs. Meyer? She called and talked quite a while with me, and we had a nice chat answering questions that she had to ask about the Philippines and the political situation. And, uh, she was seemingly more concerned about the, the role of the Catholic or the priest, the activity of the priest in the Philippines. So she spent quite a bit of time on that subject. And um, I was glad because uh, I feel that that's the number one problem in that country is the Catholic Church and what they're trying to do. And so we had a good conversation with her, and I do hope that uh, she puts the right message in the newspaper. We do not know what uh, she will put. But anyway, we told her what we thought, and uh, we're praying that it might do something. Interesting thing is that I received a letter the other day from a brother Carlson out in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, no, Tucson, Arizona. And this brother wrote to Senator Barry Goldwater. I guess he and Goldwater are somewhat friends, and Goldwater wrote a very special letter to him. And uh, Goldwater writes, Thank you for your recent letter regarding the situation in the Philippine Islands. I appreciate uh, you sending me the most interesting article by Mr. Watkins. It certainly paints a picture quite different from that the media would like us to believe exists there. Apparently, they suffer from the same news management that we see so prevalent in this country. So, anyway, Senator Goldwater got the message. And basically, that's the message I want all the senators to know, that the news that we are receiving through the news media is managed news. It is not the truth that is being presented. And so we are glad for those of you who are making a special effort to get the message out and getting it out to the right people so that they might uh, at least know. And I have received quite a few clippings from different papers in uh, the United States and so I believe we are doing a little bit. At least we're doing more than when I started. And so we appreciate very much all of your efforts. Let us not stop. Let us continue. Every time we get an opportunity, anybody of any importance, let's ask them about what they know about the Philippines. Because the situation is not getting better. It is getting worse. In fact, I heard the other day where they have sent the message to Marcos 
that uh, the United States government will not be able to help him like they used to because of his human rights violation. Well, that again is a, is a term that the liberals use so freely, especially they use it against the friends of the United States. You ever notice they never say anything about the violation of human rights in communist countries. The worst in all the world is found in Russia and the other communist countries. We don't build a fence in the Philippines to keep the Filipinos from running out like the Russians have in Germany, in Berlin. The worst offenders are the ones who are the ones that offend are, are, are persecute most are the communists, but the liberals never say anything about it. They pick on the Philippines, El Salvador, Nicaragua, and these other countries. And they keep doing it until finally they turn that country over to the communists. And I'm seeing more and more of it. The other day in the debate, when they had uh, uh, Mondale and, Mar and that other fellow from Colorado and and Jesse Jackson. The people applauded Jesse Jackson when he talked about South America. You mean you see that? They applauded him when he said how terrible it is in South America. No, excuse me, in South Africa. Well, let me tell you, if they ever turn that thing loose over there in South Africa, that's the end. It'll be just like the rest of the countries in Africa, communist Mr. Anderson, who spent uh, a number of months, over a year, in fact, in Tanzania. That country, you can't even buy soap. You can't go into stores and buy anything because there's nothing there. Because it's a socialistic, communistic form of government. And yet, we turned most of those countries in Africa over to the communists. Rhodesia being one. And they do it by throwing out terms like dictator, violation of human rights. That's the terms we see, we read so much about. And what a shame that we don't see them using those same terms against Russia. We didn't hear Jesse Jackson or Mondale or Hart condemn the Russians. They kept talking about having dialogue and and old Jesse, he comes on there, we are to love our enemies, you know, and all of that stuff. But yet, when it comes to South Africa, he changes color, and he wants to go in there with force and uh, turn that country over to the opposition, which simply means turning it over to communism. So, let us not get disturbed about terms like violation of human rights and dictators. Let's just look at the source and if you know it comes from the liberals, you know what they're after. And they know that they're always after the friends of the United States, turning those com countries over to the communists. So please continue our work and let us do what we can. I believe in doing what we can. I really do. And when I look at our government and I look at the things that are going on today, it seems like it's just a hopeless situation, isn't it? But yet, I believe that we are doing something, even though it might be little, but, it, but you just don't know as you continue to work 
You just don't know who you're going to talk to next. I was in the mall in uh, Mobile, Alabama, and I just happened to be there when the Senator Jeremiah Denton was there in the mall, and I walked right up to him, and I told him who I was, and I talked to him about the Philippines, and he listened to me. Then he had his uh, foreign affairs man call me by long distance from Washington, and I talked with him a long time. So, you see... You never know who you're going to get to next. It might be one man a little bit higher. And finally, we might do something. And people might begin to ask, really, what is going on in the Philippines? And so, continue plugging away. Don't give up. Let's continue on doing what we can. Because, listen, great things can be done in that country of the Philippines, not only politically, but also from the standpoint of preaching and teaching the Word of God rightly divided. I see, Lord so wills and tarries, that the Philippines can become a base, can become a country in which we can send out Filipino missionaries into other countries in that part of the world. And so if we can have the freedom to do it, I'm sure that God can use that work in the Philippines even in a greater way. I have visions of great things But in order to do what we want to do, we must have the freedom. We must have the freedom that we have right now to do a real work in that country. Not only working with the Filipinos, but also working with other countries in that part of the world. So I'm really interested in that country, not only for the country itself, but for the whole Far East. So continue to pray that God might do a real work and we might have that necessary freedom to carry on the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. Open your Bibles to Philippians, if you will, to chapter 4, verse 19. Now, I know that you were thinking maybe I'm going to go to chapter 4, verse 9. My daughter, Cheryl, married now. Every time she comes to one of my services, I always end up with Philippians 4, 9, because I think it's a very, very important verse for us who know the truth. A lot of us like to learn A lot of us like to study. A lot of us like to acquire knowledge of the Word of God rightly divided, don't we? And that's nothing wrong with that. But we sure like to skip over that little word, do, you know. And so I always like to end up with that verse. And so Cheryl came up to me and he said, Daddy, I know exactly where you're going to end every time. And I said, I'm glad because that's where I want to end up. Because you see, I can sit here and teach you all night. And you can sit here and you can learn all night. But listen to me. You're only doing part of what God wants done. Huh? The second thing is, He wants you to go out and do something with what you have. See? That's why we learn. In order to help us to do the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God rightly divided. So I think that what we have to emphasize is not only the learning of the message, but the doing of it also, right? I was um, in a certain place, and they were talking about missions and how the how it improved and everything improved, and, and boy, they got a real missionary emphasis. But I, and then I asked the question, I said, do they have a missionary emphasis with the right message, you see? And they said, no. Then I said, I'm not interested. I'm interested in missions. I'm interested in making known the Word of God 
but I'm interested in missions with the right message, you see. You can't go either way. You can't run out here and start doing without the right message, can you? If you do, you end up just like we see today. You got them over there baptizing. You got them over here sprinkling. You got them over here keeping the law. And you got them out there, uh, uh, no, no music instruments in the church. And you can't even put a hat rack in the sanctuary. You got to put it outside. And you got all kinds of legalism out there. And they're doing something, but it's all legalism. But you see, they don't have the right message with it. Huh? And so I'm interested in missions. And oh, how I have traveled 41,000 miles I have on this car. And I have emphasized this. I have emphasized this everywhere I go. I have not compromised this thing at all. I want missions. But I don't want missions unless we have the message. And I don't want message without the missions, you see. And so that's what we want to emphasize, is that the two go together. You can't have them. And the sad thing, beloved, is this, huh? That many people today are, are supporting mission organizations that don't have the right message. You know that? I'm going to tell you a story tonight. When I was here, when, November? I said I was needing about $500 more to help us in our work in the Philippines. Huh? Did anybody remember that? Remember that? Ask me how much I need now. I need 400 more. Ask me how many people I've talked to, grace people I've talked to. Over a thousand. And I saw the budget of one grace church. Huh? And they're spending thousands for baptistic organizations. See? Hey, when you go out and teach the message, huh? That doesn't mean that people that know it that's going to support you, because they're not. They don't know the difference, it seems like. They don't know that God has entrusted them with money and God has entrusted them with the message and he expects the two to go together. You know that? You can't separate them. But seemingly, there are grace people today who are supporting baptistic organizations and we who stand for the truth, we have to go begging because they don't stand with us. But anyway... Let's turn to Philippians 4, verse 19, if you will. And let's look at that verse tonight, because it's a wonderful verse. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, who is, who is the writer here? Somebody tell me. Paul is the writer, right? Who is he writing to? Philippian what? Church, huh? Now keep that in mind. That's important. And I like to change it around a little bit, huh? It's a little different, huh? Paul is the missionary, isn't he? Huh? Wouldn't you say? I always say that Paul was the greatest missionary outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you want to call him a missionary. And it's interesting that a missionary is writing to a home church. You got the picture? And he's writing to that church, and he's saying to that church, My God shall supply all of your needs. Now, how many times have we said that, 
And how many times that people have come up to me and said, God will supply all your needs. But now when we study that verse in the light of the context there, we're going to see that it is Paul the missionary writing to the church and saying to the church, God will supply all your needs. Now have you ever asked your question, why is it? Why did Paul have to write this Philippian church? Why did he have to say, now God's going to take care of your needs? You ever ask yourself that? There's a reason for it. Huh? Now, why? Let's ask, well, let's ask this question and answer it. Why is that church in need? Undoubtedly, they were in need. There, there's a need in this church. And that's why Paul exhorts that church and says, listen, God will supply your needs. Why are they in need? All right, if you will, let's turn back to Acts chapter 16. And, uh, no, excuse me, let's go to 2 Corinthians, if you will, chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. That's a good verse to start with. Now, let's read verse 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, the church at Philippi is a church in Macedonia. Everybody agree? All right, we got that settled. Now, number two, verse two. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abound unto the riches of their liberality, for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us, praying us, with much entreat that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Now here we see the church of Macedonia. Now let's go a little further back. Let's go back into Acts chapter 16. And let's get a little history of the church. Now in Acts chapter 16 we have the record or the history of this church. And we know that in uh, uh, verse uh, 9 of Acts chapter uh, 16, we see, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia, and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. So Paul had the vision, and what did he do? He went over to Macedonia, didn't he? He went to the city of Philippi, right? Now, when he got to Philippi, who did he find? All right, let's turn. Uh, verse 12, And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we were in that city abiding a certain days. And on the Sabbath day we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wrought to be made. And we sat down and spake unto what? Oh, I thought it was a man he saw. 
he got into Macedonia. He saw the vision of this man. And the man said, come on over here and help me. Help us. And he gets over there. And there's a bunch of women down on the riverside praying. Now, <laughs> you know, that's the story of missions. You know that? God looks for a man. And what does he find? Huh? What does he find? Women. By and large, the missionary force today, there are more women than there are men. And I wonder, maybe it must be missionary. You think so? No. You get me now? Got that? Missionary? Not missionary? Huh? No. We praise God for every woman that's involved in missions. We praise God for every woman that's involved in church work or whatever. God has used them greatly. A woman has a very special part in the ministry of God. We don't want to ever, ever eliminate the women. Because I tell you, and I'll be very frank with you, I would go hungry if it wasn't for the women that were supporting us. You know that? Huh? But listen, Paul found the man, though. Paul found the man. You know where he was? In the most unlikely place. Where was he? He was in jail, wasn't he? Found him in jail. And not only that, he went into that jail. Paul was placed in the jail. And while they were preaching and singing in that jail, the jailer got saved. And that was the man. And that's the beginning of the church in Philippi. From that small beginning and that peculiar beginning, God raised up one of the most faithful churches in the New Testament. Do you know that? In fact, Paul said, from the very day one, you began to support me and help me in my ministry. They were very, very faithful to Paul. And that's the beginning of that church. But now notice, if you will, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we'll go back there, to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 8 again. Now notice that he said, out of their deep poverty, they gave. They gave. And it's seemingly, from what we can read here, that Paul was telling them, hey, wait a minute, you, you've given enough. You've given enough. You notice verse uh, uh, verse 4, praying us with much entreat, begging us, in other words, to take the gift. And yet they were giving out of poverty, deep poverty. And Paul must have seen their poverty, and they were given to him, and he seemingly, what I would think, was he didn't want to get it, receive it all, but they insisted that he take it. Because he was going to take it and minister to the saints. And it's interesting if you turn over to that chapter 9. And you end that chapter section. We're going to come back in a little later. Chapter 9 verse 15. 2 Corinthians. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Unspeakable gift. Isn't it interesting? 
God has given to us something? Huh? He's given unto us the greatest gift that he's ever given to man. Jesus Christ. You see, we have to receive the gift before we can give it. See? And that's what he talks about. He ends that great section. Thanks be unto God. He's given us the greatest gift that he's ever given to man. The unspeakable gift. Now we can give that gift. See? We can give it. And now, as we look at this Philippian church, in the light of what we have just said, in the light of what we have just said, let's, let's look at that church. And let us remember that this church is in deep poverty. They had given to Paul. They had supported Paul a number of times in the ministry. Now they were poor. And Paul was writing to them and he said, My God is going to supply your needs. But it's interesting, huh? The interesting thing here is this. That they gave the gift, huh? They gave the gift. They were in poverty. They gave the gift. And then Paul writes to them and says, My God will supply your needs because you have supplied my need. You got it? Keep that in mind because... Is that the pattern that we follow? Not only in giving, but is that the pattern we follow in anything when it comes to the work of God? Do we give and give and give till we have no more? And then we stand there in poverty and we go back to this verse and say, God is going to supply my needs? Is that the way we do it? Uh-uh. We don't do it that way. It's me first, my needs first, and then the Lord's needs come next, right? That's the way it is, but that's not the way Paul is talking about here. These Philippians had given, and they were in poverty. And then Paul speaks to them and says, God is going to supply your needs. Now, tonight we're going to look at just a few things here. We're going to look at the needs of the Philippian church. So write this down if you want to keep up with me tonight a little bit. I've listed some things here. The needs of the Philippian church. And then we're going to look at the deeds of the Philippian church. You know, as I travel, there's one good thing about traveling. Uh, you can always take a tape recorder. You can take you some Bible messages by different preachers and you can take the New Testament with you and you can just sit there turn the tape player on with the headphones and you can just drive down the road and listen to the word of God I listened to the book of Philippians three times coming up here and every time there was one word that stood out above all the other words and I'm sure you know that word and that word is joy. Joy. And I think it's used 11 times in that epistle. I want you to remember that. The word joy. J-O-Y. 
joy. Remember that as we move along in this epistle, huh? Because it's going to help us. All right, the deeds of the church. All right, the first one is this. The needs, excuse me, the needs of the church. The first one is this. Chapter 1, verse 9, if you'll turn there. Chapter 1, verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Mm. Now, isn't that interesting? Here a church had given because of their gift and because of their generosity. They were in need. They were in poverty. Here a church that had given to Paul from the very first day they'd given sacrificially to his ministry. Paul writes back and says that your love may abound. You're thinking with me? Huh? Now I know there's much being said today in the world about love. Everywhere you turn, they talk about love. Love, the word, the meaning has been twisted. You don't have to love your wife. You can love many wives if you want. But you know, Paul adds this thing that your love may abound in knowledge. And the idea is here is to have more, to increase, be better. But as you read in this epistle, you read there is a woman, two women there, Eodius and Sitinke. And these women undoubtedly must have had some kind of a, of a quarrel among themselves. There must have been something going on there that was not right. There must have been some friction there. There must have been some kind of undercurrent going there among these women. And God bless every woman that's in the ministry. I mean, helping in the church. But I'll tell you, when the women fight in the church, things happen. You know that? And it's usually not good things happen. And so Paul writes to the Philippian church and he says, Let your love abound. Remember that we are talking about the church. We're talking about individuals in the church. And we're talking about letting our love abound. And that right before I left the Philippines, I spoke about Paul. I spoke about how is it that God was able to use this man. I know I brought out some points when I was here before, but that message is about nine points long. I only brought two out to you, you know. But one of the things I didn't bring out to you was that Paul knew that a dispensation was given unto him he knew that he had a stewardship committed unto him. And he knew that in the household of the rich man, 
that the chief steward was the one responsible to see that the household was run orderly, that it functioned right. The cook, the gardener, and so forth. He had it all rightly divided, in other words. And he had to work with the people that were in the household. And I said to our young pastors, I said, Brethren, listen, God has made us stewards of the mystery. And he has placed us in charge of the church. But brethren, remember this, that we are not the ones who puts the members in the church. You got it? The true church, the body of Christ, we are not the ones that puts people into the church. It is God that does that. It is God that builds a local church like this. It is God that brings the members, the saved members, into this church. It is not your pastor. And as I told those young men, I said, listen, he will bring all kinds of people in that church. Little ones, middle-sized ones, round ones, skinny ones, contrary ones, talkative ones, ugly ones. Brings them all in that church. And some of them I know that you would like to get them around the neck and just squeeze their tongue right out of their mouth so they wouldn't talk anymore. And I know that some of them, you would like to say, hey, there's a back door. Why don't you just ease out the back door and just get on down the road somewhere else, huh? And I know that you would love to just boot them right out and say, don't come back here anymore. I said to those young men, and I say to you tonight, God is the one that put them here. And I says, the only way that you're going to be able to work with them is to really love them with the godly love. And you know what I'm talking about? You know, it's easy for me to love my wife, isn't it? Huh? It's very easy for me to love my wife. Why? She loves me. She loves me. And she's not contrary to me. Sometimes. Not all the time. A lot of the time. But praise God for it. I'm glad because I tell you, my wife and I got natures which are like that, you know. I got a nature that's rough, that's hard. My wife has got a kind, soft-spoken Nature, you wouldn't even know she's in the room. But man, you know when I walk in the room from the very step one, you know I'm in the room. But God put my wife there for a purpose, to give me a balance, to show me how to take abuse. And my wife has taken a lot of abuse from me in the early days. A lot of abuse. A lot of my hard tongue. Because you see, when I was saved, I came off the streets. It was dog eat dog, you see. And I, I my, my, my fuse was kind of short. 
and she took a lot of abuse. And God bless her for every minute of it. I would be talking to her, and, I, and she wouldn't say a word, and that would make me mad. And I'd keep on pounding and driving, and she wouldn't say a word. Just sit there. You know what I had to do? I just had to stop. Wouldn't get anywhere. She wouldn't fight back. That's right. She wouldn't fight back. She loved me, that's why. And she showed it in the way she handled and worked with me. And you know, in those early days, if I had a dime in my pocket, I said, let's go out and spend it. My wife said, no, we ain't going to spend no money. And you know, to this day, I have to literally sometime take my wife out and buy her a dress. But you know, beloved, we owe no man anything. We don't owe a man anything. We have no debts. We don't have anything, but we don't have any debts. You know that? We don't. Because of my wife. My wife. But you see, it's easy for me to love her. But you see, when you're going to love people that are not lovable, whoo, that's where the old shoe leather hits the semen, isn't it? Can we really love these members? And this is what Paul is talking about. Oh, love those two women that are at odds with one another. Oh, love them. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to tolerate a bunch of, of, of unruliness and all that. That's not what he means. But he means in patience and in love, showing them your love, you deal with them. You deal with them. And oh, listen, the, 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 you, you can do what you say, but listen, if you show love, you're going to solve a lot of problems. That doesn't mean you don't discipline either, does it? I discipline my children. I love my children. That's why I discipline them. So when we, as a church, working with one another, sheep, different sheep, we have to always remember, we have to love it, love one another, and don't ever forget that God is the one that put that member in the body of Christ, and not you, not me. And if God thought so much to do that for that member, then how are we to think about it? Huh? We have to think also the same thoughts that God thinks. Thanks be unto God for that unspeakable gift, Jesus Christ. So they needed to grow in love. They needed to grow in it. And oh, how many times I have traveled in the churches today and I've heard about this one church splitting up and this one splitting up. And you know, beloved, you know, I, I know of a couple I'm thinking about right now. If they would have shown a little love. And you know, love is so forgiving, isn't it? Huh? And love is so long-suffering. If they would have shown a little love and understanding, I will tell you, those churches would be together today and they would be a strong, vital church within the community. But now their testimony is, is no more because 
They did not respect one another. They did not walk in accordance to love. They said, no, we're going to do it my way, and that's it. I'm going to do it my way. Love. Oh, let's love it, huh? All right, the second thing is this. Huh? All right, verse 10. They needed discernment. Discernment. Huh? Beloved, listen. Discernment. Verse 10. That you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Prove things that are different. Right? Now, I think this is, this is, that this is a, 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 a very important verse. He says that you may approve things that are excellent or different. Now, what is Paul talking about? He's talking about this. You remember when Paul went over to Macedonia and he was preaching and they put him in prison? What happened when he was in prison? Earthquake came, right? And just shook the old building and the door just fell off. In other words, God miraculously delivered Paul from prison, right? In Acts chapter 16. Huh? All right, now, now, some years later, Paul is writing to the Philippians, and where was he? He was in prison, wasn't he? And in this first chapter, you read that Paul is writing to them, and Paul is saying to them, hey, pray for me that I might be delivered. And he said, I'm, I'm sure God is going to deliver me from this prison. What had happened? What happened there? He was delivered one time miraculously. Now the second time he's saying, pray for me, that I might be delivered. Is it that uh, uh, Paul didn't have any more faith? Had Paul forgotten about God? Had Paul slipped off into sin some way and, uh, and, and, and God couldn't do the work anymore for him? I'm sure that these are the things that these Philippians must have thought when they had read, when they received that letter from him, when they saw the miraculous delivery, and then now he said, pray for me. They needed to discern. They needed to, to know how to rightly divide the early ministry of Paul from the latter ministry of Paul. In other words, it comes down to the very thing of the message that was given to Paul. It comes down to rightly dividing the word of truth. And how important it is, beloved, that all of us know the difference between Paul's early ministry and Paul's latter ministry. You know, you know, in the book of Acts, that's the playground for all of the cults, isn't it? The playground. And that's where the cults build their doctrine, the doctrine of baptism and, and so forth, all tongues and healings and second baptisms and everything. They get it all out of the book of Acts. 
And then they say, didn't Paul do this? Yes, Paul did that. But he didn't do it the way you're doing it. He had, he, he received the Holy Ghost and all of that. He, he spake and spoke in tongues and he healed, yes. But you see, here is the difference. In the early ministry, when God was, when God was developing, let me say, that message, progressive revelation, Paul did a lot of things that he did not do in the latter ministry or in his prison ministry. He did a lot of things. And I believe that the body of Christ began in Acts chapter 9. And from Acts chapter 9, we see God developing the ministry of Paul, beginning with Paul, then it begins to expand. But in this early part of that ministry of Paul, God was establishing the ministry of Paul. I was talking with a brother just the other day. He was one of the men who said the body of Christ started at Acts 28. And I said, brother, this cannot be. There would be no need for Paul in the book of Acts if the, if, if the body of Christ began in Acts 28. Because you can't have Paul unless something is done with Israel, you see. Because blindness came upon Israel, because Israel failed, we have the salvation of Paul. And I said, what we have in the book of Acts is the beginning of the body of Christ, beginning with Paul, and then as you follow his ministry, we read in Acts 26, I'm going to reveal things to you progressively reveal things to you and you see this happening as you follow the life and the ministry of Paul in the book of Acts and then those epistles that were written after Acts 28 you see it developing and coming to its fullness you see but yet it began there and certain things Paul did shaved his head spoke in tongues healed and uh, miraculous deliverance happened during the book of Acts. Why? Just simple. Because God was establishing the ministry of Paul. That's for these signs and the miracles. And now when Paul is writing the book of Philippians, he's writing where you and I stand today. You know that? He's writing like we are today. If we could get in prison, he's not going to send the earthquake to knock the walls down. We're going to do like Paul. We're going to ask people to pray for us. Deliver us from this thing. And so these Philippians, they needed to grow. They needed to study more of rightly dividing and how to distinguish between Paul's early ministry and latter ministry. Now this is also speaking to us. And I know maybe I said it before, but many people have come to me and said, Joe, why do we have so many denominations? I said, because they don't see the distinct message that was given to the Apostle Paul. And then they will say, well, don't these Pentecostals have Paul to prove their tongues? I said, yes. But they don't discern they don't rightly divide. 
Paul's ministry. In other words, they don't see an early and a latter ministry of Paul. And it's important that we who love the Word of God, we who go out and teach the Word of God, that we know that there are things in the early ministry that does not exist in the latter ministry. Because, you see, this is so important, very important. Because, you see, we look out at the world today, we see nothing but religious confusion. And the reason is because they don't see that distinction. But once you see it, oh, how wonderful it is. And how, how wonderful it is to say, praise God, the book is a wonderful book. Rightly divided, isn't it? It is perfect. It is orderly. And it's put together just right for a simple mind like mine to understand it. And that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. All right. The third thing is this. They needed to understand. They needed to understand. Let's see what verse 12 says. Look at it. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. They needed to know that setbacks of the work of the Lord are not a loss. Huh? They needed to know that a setback, a seemingly setback in the Lord's work, in our lives in fact, is not necessarily lost. They needed to know that setbacks in our life and in our ministry, they needed to know that, listen, this doesn't mean that God is finished with us. That's what Paul is talking about here. And Paul, when he was writing to the Philippian church, he was writing to these people from prison. Writing from prison. Now you think a moment, huh, with me. Now what did I say? The word joy is the word that stands out as you read that epistle. Eleven times. Joy, joy, joy. How in the world could this man be sitting in prison and writing such an epistle like this? And that's the thing that was so impressed upon my mind as I listened to it being read. I said to myself, how could he do it? Sitting in prison. Here a man's heart, Paul's heart's desire was to make known the gospel to all the world. Here this man Paul had been traveling Galatian, Macedonia, Ephesus and so forth preaching and traveling and preaching and great results and then bang he ends up in jail. If it had been me I'd have probably called off in the corner somewhere and sit down over there and that'd have been the end what in the world God have you done to me and I did that one time in my ministry I had a nervous breakdown one time years ago 
And as I was lying on that hospital bed, I said that very thing. I said, God, what is it that has happened? What is it that has happened? And you know, I didn't see this truth at that time. That listen, setbacks doesn't mean loss. Setbacks can mean greater things. Hey, when this man was in jail, he was writing and he said, Think on these things. Let's let's turn there, if you will, huh? Chapter uh, Oh, where is that? Think on oh chapter Think on these things. Um four uh what? Yeah, that's right. Chapter four, verse eight. Finally, brethren, now here, here is this man, remember, picture him now, sitting in jail. He said, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, lovely, pure, whatsoever things are of good report. Now, now notice those three words. You know, when I was reading that the other day, I looked at that word, whatsoever things are good report. Lovely. How could this man be thinking on good things when he was rotten away in a prison? And how could he be thinking on things that are lovely? You know how? You know what the answer is? Very simple. Because Paul knew very well that, hey, God has got a purpose in this thing. God has got a purpose for me being in this prison. And then Paul tells us what that purpose is. Let's turn back to, to uh, um, verse 12, chapter 1. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened to me. Now notice that. Here's the answer, huh? But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto what? The furtherance of the gospel. Now notice what happened in verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Hey, brethren, you know back in Acts chapter 9 verse 15, Paul said, God says to Ananias, he's a chosen vessel to bear my name to the Gentiles and to who? Kings, the Jews. You know, when Paul began to bear the message to the kings was when? When he started his prison ministry, wasn't it? Huh? Wasn't it? Paul knew why he was there. But the Philippians didn't. The Philippians thought, boy, that was the end. It's a waste of time and effort, Paul, in prison, and what's the use? But you know, as I had to go through that experience, I look back on it now. I look back on it now. And I say it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. As I was lying on that bed, 
I was sick. I was vomiting. I felt like I had a stone in my stomach. The doctor came in and said, Joe, there's nothing. We cannot find anything wrong with you. The x-rays are all clear. I'm sending the psychiatrist in. So he sent the psychiatrist in the next day. He came in, asked me a few questions. He looked as stupid as I did. And he walked out. He walked out. And I said to myself, I said, boy, that fellow needs help more than I do. But boy, you know, when I said that, I cried. I completely broke down. I was absolutely scared to death. And I was crying out, Oh God, why are you doing this to me? I didn't know this truth then. And I called my wife and I said, Come get me out of this place. I said, I want to get out. And during that night, huh? During that night, I sat up in my bed and I said, Now God, we can't go on like this. You take me out of this life. Or you heal me. Take me out. And you know my wife had just delivered our daughter, our daughter Cheryl. And all of these things were just pressing down on me. I was a preacher. What kind of preacher are you? This is the devil speaking. Huh? You don't believe the devil talks? <laughs> he said, what kind of preacher are you? You're supposed to be out there helping people. And look at you. You need help more than they do. Boy, let me tell you, those words were as clear as I said it to you tonight. They gave me tranquilizers, and I'd, I'd look over to the side over there, and, I, and I'd start staring. I had to force myself to look. Those things had just gotten me so I couldn't do anything. I'd wake up in the morning, I'd be vomiting, and I'd be vomiting. I didn't know why I was vomiting. And I'd sleep all day and sleep all night. And it's not my habit to sleep I'm not that kind of a person. And all the time the devil was bearing down on me. Hey, you're supposed to be the one helping others and you can't even help yourself. That's words also. I didn't know what was going on, but I knew one thing. When that psychiatrist went out, I said, God, please take me home or, or, or heal me. And I called my wife the next day and you know, the next morning, the next morning, I knew that something was happening in my life. I'm not talking about healings and all of that, but I knew that I had made the right step. I'd come to the end of myself. And I said, Lord, it's take me home or use me. And that was the first step I had to take. It took three and a half years for me to get back like I should be. But from that first step, I began a process of examining my life and seeing many, many things in my life that had brought all of that on to myself. And me and God for three years, we dealt with one another. Three years. And God began to weed out those things that he didn't want in this fellow's life. 
And now as I look back, oh, brethren, I wouldn't give you a million dollars for the experience. But I wouldn't give you a nickel to go through it again. Huh? It wasn't a setback. You know what God did to me? He took me and sent me out to Phoenix, Arizona. And I took a church out there. A small group of people meeting in a union hall. And I had to work. I had to work. And you know where I had to work? To support my family? And, and work with the grace people? This was all God's program, you see? I didn't know it at the time. I was working in the, in the janitorial service in a hospital. And it was my job to go in and clean up the rooms when the patients were dismissed. It was the only job I could get. Dollar fifteen cents an hour, that's all I made. And I'd be down on my knees scrubbing the toilet with the scrub brush. And brethren, I looked in those toilets many a time and I said, why God, I don't understand this. Scrubbing toilets. Scrubbing the floor. God, you ain't called me to do this. You called me to preach. Three and a half years later, the church, we grew. We went into another building. And they have a building there now. The church is still going. And God sent me back to the Philippines three and a half years. And oh, this time when I went back, beloved, I went back a secure person. And I could get down there and I could look in the eyes of that Filipino because I was teaching ministers, you know. I was training ministers. I was training workers, huh? And when I first four years I went there, the first four years that I went there, I was just telling them what the book said, huh? I hadn't experienced it myself. But that time when I came back the next time, I could look them in the face and I'd say, Brother, when you go out to preach and teach the Word of God rightly divided, you're going to have to plow the fields. You're going to have to plant the rice. You're going to have to raise chicken. This is their way. You're going to have to raise pigs in order to help you in the ministry. I said, I'm not telling you something I did not do. I'm not telling you something Paul did not do. I'm telling you something that I got down on my knees and I scrubbed toilets. And a person who scrubbed toilets in the Philippines is not a very important fellow. And what a joy it is to face those men over there now with that confidence. Hey, that was not a setback. That was a blessing to me. That was not a setback to the work. That was for the furtherance of the work. Because of that sojourn, I was able to be stronger in the faith. And this is what Paul is talking about. Paul has said, hey, I've been able to witness into Caesar's household. And people have been saved. And not only that, but because of my boldness, and listen to this, some of the brethren have become bold also in preaching the gospel of Christ. That's wonderful, isn't it? Huh? And the wonderful thing, beloved, is this. What does he look at when he looks at you? Huh? Does he look at a vessel of clay? I hope he does. 
Because this is what Paul said, hey, we have this, this gospel, we have this, this light in a vessel of clay, don't we? Huh? But you know, when everything is going so nicely with us and we've got nice clothes and our job is okay and, and man, our families are all very nice and everybody looks at us and they don't see anything different, do they? Oh, listen, you know, back in the Old Testament, God told Gideon, he said, Gideon, take those men and you put a light in the earthen vessel and at a certain time I want you to break that earthen vessel so that light can shine out. And that's what Gideon did. And this is what Paul is telling us today, huh? Listen, we have that glorious gospel in an earthen vessel. And the thing of it is, it's a cracked vessel. And that light just shines beautiful when that vessel is cracked. You ever notice that? God tonight, beloved, he might be cracking your vessel, just like he had to crack old Joe. And I tell you, he cracked it good. He cracked it good. But what does the world see when they look at us? Do they see a cracked vessel that can carry on the ministry no matter under what kind of circumstances we can go right on with it? Or does he see a defeated person? Huh? Beloved, maybe God is dealing with you tonight. Maybe there's some problem in your life. Maybe there's something going on and oh, you cannot see nothing but dark clouds, remember, beloved. Maybe that's the very thing God is going to use to crack your vessel so that he can really let that light that you have shine out. Huh? Maybe he's going to do it. I don't know. But don't always look at hardship and so forth as a setback. Look at it as a blessing, huh? Really? Look at it as a blessing. That's what he's telling these Philippians. He said, man, this is great. And now let's look at the deeds and then we're going to let you go. Man, it's getting late already, isn't it? Let's look at the deeds of these church, of this church. We didn't get past where I really wanted to go in their needs, but anyway, we want to look at the needs. All right, they prayed for Paul, the deeds, the action, the doing of this church. If you will, please, the doing, those things that you see in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. This is what we want to see in this church. The first thing is in Philippians 1.19. He says, pray for me. For I know that, ye, ye, that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayers. In other words, the Philippian church prayed for Paul. Now I know that that term, pray for me, pray for me, you've heard it so many times, haven't you? And I know that every missionary that comes by, they will say to you, pray for me, pray for me. That's right. That's right. And I know it becomes kind of trite, you know, and, and sometimes you will sit there and you will listen. Pray for me, pray for me. You're just waiting for him to finish saying that so he'll get to second point because that's what you're really after. You already heard about praying, but beloved, listen. If you don't pray, there's not going to be another point. You know that? Huh? 
I mean, if you don't pray for your pastor, if you don't pray for your church, if you don't pray for the leaders of this country, if you don't pray for the, for the missionary, there ain't going to be no number two. There's not going to be another one. That's how important prayer is. Here this apostle, who was the apostle to the Gentiles, saying, pray for me, and he said, through your prayers, the second thing is going to happen. And what's that? Huh? It's going to be released, isn't it? Is that what he said? Let's read it again. I only saw two people nod their head. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation. That's number two. Through your prayers, right? He's going to be released. He's going to be released. Pray, oh, pray. Pray. Please, let's pray. And then number two, the deed is this. They sent personnel. You ever notice that in this epistle? That they sent personnel? Chapter 2, verse 5. Let Verse 25, excuse me. Verse 25. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your, what? Messenger. And he that ministered to my, what? Once. Now here's the story. Epaphroditus must have been one of the men that took the funds or took whatever it was that the Philippians were given to the Paul. He was the one that took the funds to Paul. And not only that, but he also went to help Paul in the ministry. How do I know? Because he says, listen, companion in what? Labor. Fellow soldier. Fellow soldier in the ministry. So these Philippians sent one of their own sons off to help the missionary Paul. You know, they tell us that when the Roman Empire stopped sending their sons to battle, and when the Roman Empire started sending mercenaries, that's when they started to fall. When they stopped sending their own sons and hired mercenaries to do their fighting, that was one of the things that brought the fall of that Roman Empire. Now, beloved, missions today needs help. It needs your sons. It needs you. You say, well, what about money? I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about you. It needs you. Now, you can give me money, and I can go, and I am going. But you see, what this church needs is to send one of its own, huh, to the field. That's what it needs. Just like the Philippian church. Epaphroditus, you go. Take the money to Paul. You see and help him. And he became a companion in labor with Paul. 
we got a place for you in the Philippines. Do you want to go? Huh? Now, verse 3. The third thing is this. They sent their substance. They sent their money also. Verse, chapter 4, verse 15. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. But ye only. Isn't that a sad commentary? But isn't it also a wonderful commentary? Sad because none of the other churches helped him. Only this church stood with him. Huh? Financially. Now I know that a lot of people like to hear me and other preachers talk about baptism. I talk about the deity of Christ. Rightly dividing. But when you talk about giving, you can make an awful lot of people mad. You know that? But you know, if you teach giving according to the teachings of Paul, how can anybody get mad? Huh? How can a real believer of grace get mad? What they do? But they do. Now, if I went over to Matthew and went back to the law and said this and this, well, man, I don't blame you. I'd get mad also. But if we stay to the teachings of Paul on giving, not one of us should ever think a bad thought. We should think good thoughts. And we should not only think, but we should do. But how many people are willing to talk? How many people are willing to talk, talk, talk? But when it comes down to the giving, they go back in the back room. Now notice, verse 16 said they did it repeatedly. They didn't do it one time. They did it repeatedly, more than once. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. They did it abundantly. Notice verse 18. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. Paul said, I'm full. I have it now. Because they gave abundantly to meet the need of the Apostle Paul. And yet, they were in poverty. As we teach the Filipinos, I say to the Filipinos, you are never too poor that you cannot give to God. You're never too poor that you cannot give. Now, I know that there's a lot of grace believers that cannot give to God simply because they are out of the will of God when it comes to money. Now, wait a minute, Joe. Now you're hurt. Now, that's not right. I have a friend who had a perfectly good car. 
perfectly good car. Only one year old or two years old. You know what he did? Grace man? Huh? He went and traded in on a new one. And you know what he did? Went into debt. A couple of thousand grand. And you go up to him and say, Brother, look, I need, I need $500 to buy this piece of equipment. How about giving it to me? He said, Joe, I can't. I don't have any money. And he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't have any money. Why? Because he went out and bought a new car. When the one he had was gold. He went out and went into debt. He can't give me any more money. That's not the will of God. I know it's not. Not when there's people in this world that have never heard one time the gospel of the grace of God. And here we are spending money in order to keep up with the Joneses. That's not God's will. Here are these people who set an example for us, gave abundantly, and they gave so much that Paul said, Hey, I got enough. Don't send anymore. There is a woman in Mobile that gives her dresses to my wife and some others. Perfectly good dresses. Huh? Nothing wrong with them. But why does she give them away? Huh? No, just get new ones. Why? Well, because maybe the hymn is a little bit shorter this year. Or maybe it's here or there. And so, let's get rid of all of them. And you know, my wife was in one of the stores there in Mobile. And one dress, $165. I said, man, oh man. That's a lot of money. And there, my wife, we went the other day to Kmart. And we buy those blue light specials at Kmart. You know them blue light specials? Huh? You ever sit there in Kmart waiting for the blue light to go down the aisle and say, hey, man, get here in 10 minutes, you know? That's the kind. We go down there and get that. We went out and bought our pair of long trousers. We were going to go on a long trip down there at Key West, and we are going to go out and pass out tracks. You don't know what's going to happen on the streets there. You can be thrown down or anything. See? I didn't want her to wear a dress. Wait for that blue light, man. You see him rolling that blue light, you get the smile, and there he goes. Oh, keep going, blue light. You know. What's wrong with that Kmart blue light special? Huh? Absolutely nothing. What is good about it? It costs about $100 cheaper than that one in that other store. Huh? And that means $100 more you can give to the Lord's work. You can give to the Lord's work. Hey, you know, some years ago we were satisfied with a colored, te- I mean, we were satisfied with a black and white television. Huh? Ain't so anymore. We've got to have colored now. And you know the next step we're going to have to have? We're going to have to have a disc. You know that disc? Where we can pick up a hundred sinful channels. Huh? You seen that disc? What is that, brother? Television disc. You know what it was? What do they call that thing? You don't even know about that, do you? Huh? Don't let me see one when I come back in four years on your house. That put them outside, you know. Had to put them outside. Now that's the next. You know what they cost? Five, six, seven hundred dollars, huh? 
you're seeing them all down the road and Christians will walk right into it and they will get it they gotta have it you don't have to have it that's just a bunch of junk that the world has put off on us the rudiments of this world has deceived us into thinking that we have to keep up with the Joneses and it's not so not so it was very funny Last Sunday I was in the Grace Church there in Mobile and I had this coat on, you know. Not this one, I have another one. And it's a, and I got about three comments on that coat. I said, man, that coat looks good, Joe. I said, no missionaries could own a coat like that. It was a sports coat, no? I said, man, I know it, man. I don't know what kind of thing is. Look at there. There's the brand. It has a nice brand there. I didn't know. I said, I don't know what that thing is. And I, ain't, I said, I ain't going to tell you where I got it either. That's one of them Kmart blue light specials. No joke. Kmart. And I got three comments from a man who had a Shaster and Mark suit on. Huh? You know, I don't think I can even say them fancy words. Shaster and something else. What? Okay, that's the one. That's one of them $150, $200. I can't even say. And that, that's right. No joke. I had that old Kmart special on. I didn't tell them fellas that. And then my daughter came up to me and said, Dad, that coat's out of style. It's got a big lapel on it. I said, now, isn't this a real winner? I get three comments how tremendous the thing looks. My daughter comes and says, you're out of style. I said, I can't win for losing, can you? Huh? But you know, that doesn't make a bit of difference to me if the thing is in style or not. As long as it's clean and don't smell. Huh? If it smells, nobody come listen to you preach, so you clean it up. But listen, these Philippians, they gave abundantly because they knew how to give. They were not afraid. Now listen to me carefully. They were not afraid to give in their poverty. They were not afraid to give until it hurt. Were they? Till it hurt? That's why Paul wrote them that promise. They didn't have any more. They had given. They had met Paul's need. And Paul said the promise is that God will supply your need. Huh? How many of you have given till it hurt? I gave till it hurt right before I left the Philippines. I didn't have any more. One of our pastors came in to us with TB. $500 it took to cure that man and I took everything I had out of my own pocket. If I hadn't, he would have died. But you know, God replaced it soon after that. He replaced it. It's amazing, beloved. You can't outgive God. But listen, I ain't telling you to give because if you give 10, God's going to give you 20. I'm not saying that. That's like Magic, you know. Oh, listen. These Philippians, beloved, gave in their poverty. And they gave so much, Paul said, Oh, beloved, please don't send any more. You need it. Oh, if we just had grace people who really knew how to practice the grace message, we could turn this world around upside down, so to speak, or whatever. We're just playing around now that's all we're doing it's me first and then somebody else 
And after we're finished with me, there's nothing left. These people gave till it hurt. And Paul said, listen, God is going to take care of you. God is going to take care of you. And then in closing, not only did they give, but notice in what he says there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, he said, first, they did what? They gave themselves. Oh, they gave themselves. And beloved, listen, you can't give till it hurts unless you give yourself first. You know that? Huh? They said, Lord, here, take a hold of me. Here's my life. Here, take it. My money, my job. It's all yours. That's what he's saying here. They gave themselves first. And when you do that, God can do great things, beloved. In closing now, there's a story told of an old missionary out there among the Indians. And he was out there preaching, enthusiastically preaching the gospel and lordship of Christ and dedication and so forth. Preaching to the Indians and, you know, preaching to Indians. I lived in Phoenix and when you speak to Indians, man, it's like talking to a rock. You don't know what they're doing. They just sit there deadpan-like, you know. And after the message, this chief came up to the missionary and he said, Sir, chief gives bridle to Jesus Christ. And the missionary, he was wise. And he said, chief, that's not enough. That's not enough. And so the chief turned around with his face down. He walked out of the little church and the next night he came back and the preacher was preaching again and after the message the chief came up and said Sir, chief, give bridle and saddle to Jesus Christ. And the missionary wisely said, Chief, that's not enough. That's not enough. So again the chief turned around the face a little bit longer and he walks out. The missionary thought, well, maybe he'd never come back again. But the next night he was there. And that missionary went on and preached. After the message, the chief came up again and said, chief, he said, sir, the chief give bridle and saddle. And then the chief said, oh, I give my horse. And the missionary was really stuttered for a little bit and he was going to give his horse. And then he looked at the chief and he said, Chief, that's not enough. And boy, the chief was really mad then. He said, that's it, man. I give you my battle and my saddle and my bridle and my horse and you don't even want it. He said, that's not enough. So he really stomps out of the church and the missionary thought, well, that'd be the end of that chief. The next night he came back. And then, as that missionary was preaching and teaching, they gave themselves first. That chief walked down that aisle that night, and he said, Sir, the chief 
give himself to Jesus Christ. And the missionary said, that's enough. That's enough. And that's what these Philippians had done. They gave themselves first. And that's why God used them greatly. The same with you. Have you given yourself? Or maybe you are just giving a little here, a little there. But God hasn't really gotten a hold of you yet. You. Like the colored preacher. He's down at the old creek baptizing. And this old brother walks down there. And he walks out into the middle of the creek. And he starts, he says, oh, wait a minute. I forgot to take my billfold out of my pocket. And the old preacher said, no, sir, brother. No, sir. You leave that because I want to baptize that also. In other words, he needs all of you, you see. All of you. All of you. And this is what we need most of all. Give ourselves to him as these Philippians did. And we can do great things together. Let's pray. Our Father, it's been a joy and a privilege to be here tonight. Thank you for the teaching of your word. Thank you for your word. Speak to hearts tonight, Lord. Thou knowest every need in this house. Thou knowest every want. Thou knowest every heartache. Thou knowest every heartbreak tonight. And thou canst meet them, every one. But Lord, help us all to realize that things don't come into our life by chance, but our steps are ordered of thee. And let us learn the things that you are dealing with us and showing us. And let us realize that when you deal with us, it is for the purpose of perfecting us. It is for the purpose of propagating the gospel through us. And please teach us that lesson in a wonderful way tonight. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.